Why do they call them fuzz? Do they have, is it the hats? Because they're a bit fuzzy. I don't know. No. No. I remember you used to love, uh, when we were at university, never in earshot of a policeman, of course, but if we'd pass them and then they'd be really far down the street, you'd go, Evening, constable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to go, oink, oink, I smell bacon. Oh, you'd do that as well, yeah, you had a bit of a thing for it. I don't quite know where that came from, your, uh, <laughs> vigil, whatever, side, vigilante. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what a strange sort of weird humour to have. It's not you, is it? Really? <laughs> Were you doing it ironically? <laughs> I tell you what, I kept doing it to Bria because he worked for friend of the show, Paul Bria, because he worked for the police dispatch yeah. people, whatever they're called. Yeah. And uh, he fucking hated it. <laughs> oh, he did not see the funny side. He did not like that at all. <laughs> Oink, oink, I smell bacon. I'm not even a policeman. Not, I don't even, it doesn't even work. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, fair enough, isn't it? Really? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Diminishing Returns, the second in our three-part series looking at Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's Cornetto trilogy, I think it's generally called. Uh, So last week we did Shaun of the Dead, next week we will be doing The World's End, and this week Saul and I, joined by our very special guest, Calvin Dyson, will be looking at Hot Fuzz. Oof. It's getting hot in here. (laughs) So take off fuzz, all your fuzzy clothes. in here. Hello, this is Calvin. Hello, this is Saul. So, guys, uh, Calvin, you weren't here last week, but basically, uh, for anyone who didn't hear our Shaun of the Dead episode, Saul and I just fawned over it for an hour um, and said how amazing it was, and that it's basically the best film ever made. So, <laughs> yeah, on that on that note, Calvin. Yeah, how very quickly? How do you feel about Shaun of the Dead? I don't think it's as positive as us. Oh no, no, I like it very much. Uh, yeah, yeah. What do you give it out of ten? Oh, seven. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 I think that's a fair score for it. I think. Okay, well, do you want to know what we both gave? Probably it? nines or something. It's probably the highest rated thing in the in the site now. <laughs> yeah. We, we both gave it perfect tens, uh, so it's now it's now the highest rated film we've ever covered on Diminishing Returns. Oh, so annoying! I, My seven should count. Yeah, no, I, do, no, I do actually have half a mind to add your seven in. You weren't on the third. <laughs> if you're not going to turn up for the episode, then. then. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So, all right. So you're a fan of Shaun of the Dead, yeah. Nice. We're obviously very, very big fans of Shaun of the Dead. I think we basically said it was about as perfect a film as you'll find, yeah. <laughs> in as many words. Mm. Um, so they they came back for, for all intents and purposes, a sequel, a spiritual successor. Yeah, it's not fuzz. certainly not of the same character or anything. It's... Is it a, a satisfactory continuation? Well, of course... We do have a secret weapon here in Hot Fuzz for Calvin, uh, the presence of Mr. Timothy Dalton. Mm. 
we've got we've got more than just him but yeah mm. yes but there's it's, many it's... great things in in this one uh yes I'll, I'll put my cards on the table right now i think this is better than Shaun of the dead um Ooh. and i guess we'll be talking about why but mm. uh yeah just to sort of um say something general about it i think the genre it is taking off is um <laughs> I think this is going to be complete <laughs> the and the opposite of one of my first notes <laughs> well i mean of course it's known as and was marketed as sort of like an action movie spoof but really yes. it's more of a slasher uh yeah, movie with, take with, i think with splatterings of folk horror yes as well, yeah a lot of wicker man in here yeah um, yes and yes. Uh, you know like uh, i know what you did last summer that sort of thing a lot of very gruesome mm, kills mm. Yeah, which was a was a huge part of really winning me over to the film. Actually, mm. I remember when I first went to see it, I I had no idea it was gonna skewer off into horror territory. I I kind of just expected this bad boys esque mm. buddy cop movie, and I was all right with that. But as my first note here says, police just ain't as good as zombies. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And uh, then when it kind of does, it really does take a left turn. I, I think the first time you watch it, you're not expecting it to go all horror and, and mm. what have you. It's quite a, for genre fans, certainly, it's quite a well, funnily enough, relief, um, really. Last week we were talking about sequels to Shaun of the Dead. And, and one, of the, one of the ideas that Edgar Wright and Simon Pig has thrown out there, seemingly as a joke, was from Dust Till Shaun, a t- <laughs> sort of take on Dust Till Dawn. Well, this has elements of that in terms of that, big tone shift halfway through where it suddenly becomes a totally different genre. Uh, And then they start playing on horror tropes instead of buddy cop tropes. Mm, Um, But it worked. It doesn't feel unbalanced in that sense. It does Mm, seem mm. like it does service to both. Mm, mm. Uh, I I mean, I I think that the stuff that's taking off the horror side of things is stronger than um, the, the action movie stuff. Um, and, and perhaps because the target, the target is a bit more uh, sort of narrowed down and focused, I think, because when it like action movies are, are so broad in their own sort of subgenres, um, like buddy cop films, I don't even know if I have much of a reference for that. I mean, you guys mm. talked about Beverly Hills Cop, and like, is that? I mean, is that the sort of thing that this is taking off? I probably don't get Uh, as many of the action movie references as I do the horror stuff. I mean, that's obviously a comedy one to begin with. So it's as much as Shaun of the Dead was taking off from Return of the Living Dead and like Mm. comedic zombie movies. It's definitely informed the film to a degree, Mm. but they're really playing on more serious ones, such as Bad Boys 2 and Point Break. Mm. I would say that compared to the likes of Shaun of the Dead... The the little references here are fewer, mm. uh, definitely, and the ones they do, and ma- I'm, there'll definitely be things here that I'm not getting. The ones they do are really kind of pointed out, like they literally show the <sighs> clip from Point Break mm. that he does later on. So it's not just that they're playing on it; they're they're doing it on a less subtle level. <laughs> I think there are. I would say there is probably about equal number of references to other films. In this one, mm. in the in the horror stuff or in the police stuff? Oh, are we talking specifically one or the other? Uh, well, I think the horror stuff's a lot more. There's more of that. There's way more horror stuff, but it's not it's not all really overt. Some of it is, but 
you know, some of it's more... I mean, you've got everything here from, you know, where the, the production of Romeo and Juliet that they do at the local community centre, whatever it is, is specifically a production Baz of Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, uh, for example. They they obviously do The Omen. That's like mm-hmm, a real yeah. full-on omen yeah, homage yeah. when Adam Buxton's head gets crushed to pieces. But that isn't like they sort of stop and go, hey, guys, it's The Omen. Uh, cranberry Juice, that's um, a reference to... Uh, Ah, oh, fuck, what's it called? Alan, what's the police film where he's drinking cranberry juice? Oh, I don't know. I didn't know that was a reference. I want to say either Leon or The Departed, but I've forgotten which one it is. Mm. Leon drinks milk, if I remember right, correctly. Right, it's The Departed then, I think, is it? It's The Departed. The Departed, he drinks cranberry juice. I mean, not that that's a weird thing to do if you're not drinking alcohol, but... Oh, no, sorry, the, the spider plant, the, the plant he has, that's, that's Leon, Leon, isn't yes. it? Yeah, Leon has And the cranberry plant, juice was The Departed, that's why I'm getting confused. Yeah. Uh, I did notice a bit where yeah, Simon Pig's character is walking through the square and a load of pigeons fly up, which I think was a John yeah. Woo reference. <laughs> it is a John Woo reference, yeah. <laughs> very, very, very specifically, yeah. So there you go, it's got a lot of it in there, but mm. I think a lot of it is maybe less overt to... I don't know, I, I think we're just not as aware of the genre. As, possibly, as, yeah, possibly. The yeah. other thing in terms of being more overt was... Uh, we talked last week in Shaun of the Dead about how many things they put in that foreshadow things to come, but in a way that yeah. you would never pick up the first time, and it was just more of a cheeky bonus for the for the people who watch it a few times. There's a lot of that in here, but far less of it, and it feels like they were trying harder to kind of repeat that. Well, I think I think partly the problem here is that they they use that device to create a kind of murder mystery plot in which we're dropping these clues in, and then he puts them all together at the end. So. Mm-hmm. Well, not at the end, actually, because then there's a twist reveal sort of thing. But in terms of when he thinks he's worked it out. So they have to hammer them home a little bit more. And they also have to have that moment where he's like, he's remembering it and he's hearing the voice in his head or he sees that again. And and because they're using it as a plot device rather than just as a bit of an Easter egg sort of thing. There's a lot of the little Easter egg ones in here, though. There's stuff like when they're at the fun fair and the guy says to Nicholas Angel something like, it's like a little shooting range thing and he says something like take out all the little people and you get to ride off with the cuddly monkey and that's meant to be a foreshadowing of what happens at the end shoot all the bad guys and you get to go off with danny butterman there's a lot of that in here it's just not nearly as uh well done as it is in Shaun of the dead it's less uh you want to be a big cop in a small town fuck off up the model village or whatever the line is (laughs) and obviously that's ultimately what he does the Mm. the big fights you know, there at the end, there's there is a lot of that in there. It's just um, not as sort of beautifully constructed as some of it is. Yeah, sure, maybe it's just I think some of it is still a little bit surprising, like the stuff with the um, the swan and everything. Like you just sort of think that's just a little gag earlier on, and then comes back later on yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I mean I, I was uh, I'd forgotten just sort of how rich the whole film is really obviously I think the writing is very tight and great and everything but there's also just so many like mm. little references in each scene and even like you know um, Peter Jackson popping up for a cameo Kate Blanchett popping up for a cameo it's one of those things where you can just like spend the whole film like if you're watching it with someone just pointing out all the little tidbits yeah. um i bet that's not annoying <laughs> <laughs> is this what happened to your boyfriend while you were watching this stuff? <laughs> no i watched this alone actually it's just <laughs> pointing out to myself yeah. and i like you going oh look that's uh that's steve coogan he's like who <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's Edward Woodward. This makes sense because he was in The Wicker Man and they're referencing The Wicker Man. Like, uh. Bit of trivia, guys. Do you, do you know what they, um, what they were going to call the shop before they cleared Summerfield? No. Alan? Ooh, um, want to take a want to take a guess? It's it's a beautiful name. I wish they'd gone with it instead of Summerfield. Honestly, S- Somerville is that where was where was the Wicker Man set? What would they call that? Island? Oh, you're you are you're on the right lines. Uh, yeah, they wanted to call it Summer Isles uh, after the island Summer Isles. That's great. Obviously, there's a double meaning because Isles being a supermarket. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Thing. And it would play on like Summerfield that people would recognize. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Which was a shop. Any listeners too young to remember? Summerfield was a real shop. Does it not exist it anymore? anymore? No, it was bought out by the co-op shortly after I need this to film. Google I don't this. exist anymore. Oh, wow. I, was it because I of worked this film? in a summer field when this came out, so I, I had a whole extra level of enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, ceased operations in 2011. Wow. I didn't know that. Was it annoying, like, working there after the film came out? Did people come in and try and recreate <laughs> scenes, and you had to be like, oh, excuse me, this is a workplace? No, us at work kept trying to recreate the because <laughs> we were teenage boys prattling around in a supermarket. It was great. There is actually something about this film that does make me th- it, like it. Just like took me straight back to like first year of university, and I, mm. I don't quite know why because yeah. I know it was released like a year before we all went to university. But I remember it being quite a quite an influential film or a film that everyone had seen and everyone liked and it was still being discussed quite a... But I think there are just a lot of things in here that take me back. Like, there's that bit where he opens up, like, his uh, DVD cabinet and it's, like, this big, like, Mm. oh my god, all of his films and I certainly coveted when I was first watching this back then. Do you know who those DVDs actually were? Uh, Was it Edgar Wright's? It It was the combined efforts of Edgar Wright his brother Oscar Wright and Joe Cornish's DVD collections. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I just love that that would be seen as like this, you know, it just shows how far we've come in 12 years, I suppose. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> physical media collection was a really big deal back then. <laughs> it, it was a huge deal, though. Shaun of the Dead, I remember when it came out, was a real, certainly in terms of high school and Mm. being a 15 year old at the time it was a real underground thing Mm. i know it was getting good reviews in in the paper and what have you but you know the the average person on the street hadn't seen it if you spoke to them about it they were like oh you mean dawn of the dead as in the Zack snyder (laughs) remake that had just come out and you're like "Uh, no actually i think you'll find it's Shaun of the dead it's a play on words (laughs) and dawn of the dead is actually a film from 1978 Starring, <laughs> written by George Romero. Come on, no name name one of the actors. Come on, name one uh, actor. Yeah, no, I, that, that's what I was trying to do, and then I was like, "Oh shit, there's no one in." <laughs> uh, no, uh, Ken Fiore, is it? Oh yeah, you know, I'll give you that. Ken oh Fiore, my god, yeah. I only know that because he's in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three. <laughs> he was also in Keenan and Kel. He's in Keenan and Kel. He was Keenan's dad. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, the point I was getting to anyway. Shaun of the Dead was a real sort of underground thing and it was one of those big dvd hits you know mm. after a certain point it took off and everyone had seen it and now everyone knows Shaun of the dead do you remember guys in the 2000s when you could have a dvd hit 
<laughs> that was a thing. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh, by 2007, everyone knew about Shaun of the Dead, and so Hot Fuzz was the film that kind of enjoyed the spoils of that. Yeah. It was a huge number one box office hit in the UK. You know, I think it got to like number six in the US box office, which is pretty substantial for. Mm. It's a very British what film. What is quite a small British film, yeah. Mm. Yeah. On a limited release. And it still seems relatively low budget. Just mm. Yeah, it was. Yeah, all, all things considered. I mean, I think it's got twice the budget Shaun of the Dead had, but that's not a lot of money. Mm. Probably more than twice the budget, actually. But Yeah, but Nick yeah. Frost's uh, wage demands had increased considerably. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one of the demands he actually made was that he get to, he get to name his character himself. When he chose Fanny Bat- Batterbomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah, remember you're talking about a man who shaved a square of his hair off to play Ed in Shaun of the Dead. He, he's obviously, you know, he's concerned about what's best for the project, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so, can we go through the cast a little bit? Yes. Before we get to plot? Yeah. Great cast. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. As Shaun well, of the Dead was, it's sort of well, chock well, full well, of cameos well. as well as your main cast. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I did a little Shaun of the Dead quiz last week that was more of a more of an excuse to just list a whole load of cameos. I thought I'd do roughly the same thing this week, but it's going to be more fun because I can actually play you against each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Okay. I would like you to list, for me, you can take turns, actors who were in Shaun of the Dead... Or spaced who appear in Hot Fuzz. No. If they're in both, you get two points. Damn it. Okay, 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 okay. I watched Shaun of the Dead last week. I don't think Calvin has. Yeah, no, this is. <laughs> and I don't think Calvin has ever seen has ever space properly. So I'm going to let you go first, Calvin. <laughs> okay. Um, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, correct. He is in Space and Shaun of the Dead, obviously. That's uh, two points to you. All right, in that case, I'll take Nick Frost. That, that is correct. Well done. Uh, same, same. He's in both, for obvious reasons. Okay. I'm a bit stuck now. <laughs> um, There's three more. Three? Is that all? Three more who are in both. Right. Uh, then a further mm. three have appeared in Spaced, and a whole load have appeared in Shaun of the Dead. Uh, I've definitely got one. Uh, let me have a think. Uh, oh, God. Oh, Jesus Christ. It won't be him. He wouldn't have been in Spaced. <laughs> uh, uh, you, you want to think British comedy rather than proper actors. That Steve Coogan. In. Uh, no, actually, surprisingly, no, he's uh, not in either. He was one of their big guests okay. for Hot Fuzz, even though he's only in two scenes. But if you think on that same, s- well, <laughs> I, I was, I was, was giving you a clue, <laughs> yeah, and then I realised yeah, it was give... Alan's turn next. <laughs> I was like, hang on. Well, I know what I do know. Uh, one who's in both, uh, Julia Deakin. Julia Deakin, correct. She was Marsha, the landlord, uh, landlady in Spaced, and she was the alternate version of Penelope Wilton that they run into very briefly in Shaun of the Dead, when they have kind mm. of comedic counterparts, something Zombieland 2 seems to be also doing. That's all the main, like, real actors in <laughs> in both of them. The other two are just kind of weird little cameos. Is that is one of those Adam Buxton? Uh, no. No. No, No, he's not in either, surprisingly. (laughs) Although, yeah. Okay. You're on the right lines. Uh, Martin Freeman is definitely in Shaun of the Dead. He is in Shaun of the Dead, yes. Martin Freeman, correct. Policeman at the start of this and uh, the alternate boyfriend for 
Jessica Stevens and Bill Nye. Bill Nye, yeah. correct. Of course, plays Philip in Shaun of the Dead and uh, one of the policemen at the start of this. Mm. I am sure that Kevin Eldon, the actor Kevin Eldon, has appeared in Spaced. Oh, uh, correct. He played a kind of Matrix parody Agent Smith kind of character yeah, in an episode yeah, yeah, of Spaced. Right. Yeah. Oh, damn it, he was going to be my next one. <laughs> uh, was Olivia Coleman ever in Spaced? Oscar winner Olivia Coleman was not in space, no, unfortunately. Uh. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to go with Edgar Wright. Very well done. He is one of the two remaining people who was in both Shaun of the Dead and Spaced. Oh. He, uh, do you know who he played in Hot Fuzz? No, I don't think so. He plays a shelf stacker in the background in Summerfield because he used to be one, just like I was. Uh, that's why he liked. Uh, that's why he made it Summerfield. Uh, and he's also the voice of Dave at the start when uh, the, the guy's like, "I'm not Dave," and oh, Dave, oh. he makes a little noise. Right. I'm trying to think of some of the old people. I think most of the old people. Uh, the old people. Um. Is it that guy who was in Shameless? No, David no, Threlfall. no, it's not no. actually. No. Yes, that's him, but never mind. It's okay. <laughs> a good good shout, though. Okay, I've got a definite one. Mm. Plays proper characters in both films. Rafa Spall! Uh, Rafa Spall, yeah. Rafe Spall was Noel in Shaun of the Dead, and he is one of the... I was going to say, you pronounce it Rafa Spall. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's one of the Andes, along yeah. with Paddy Considine. And last week, Sol, you said that Rafe Spall's character in Charlie the Dead was his best work. I think this is his best work. I've decided I haven't watched this again. Well, I, I, if I did say that last week, it was a glaring, glaring <laughs> omission of, of this. Yeah, he's changed so much over the few years. Same goes for Paddy Considine. I think this is Paddy Considine's best work as well. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> he's done some pretty solid work. In his he has, and this is fantastic. Mm. This is right up there with the best of it. Uh, Lucy Punch? No, Lucy Punch, one of my favourites. Uh, Joe Cornish. Joe Cornish, well done. He was a zombie in Shaun of the Dead. Is he in this then? He is one of the people in the the suits at the start with Dave and oh. and and uh, what's she called? Not Janine. I think he plays Not Janine. I'm Not Janine. That one. <laughs> uh, is it my go? Yeah. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you a clue. Okay. This guy was in Spaced, and he plays two roles in Hot Fuzz, technically. Oh, uh, Paddy Considine. <laughs> no. 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 Oh, wait, wait. No two roles in, in Hot it's Fuzz. Bill Bailey. It's, like a, it's, a, oh, it's Bill Bailey. He's done Oh. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. All right, I'll give you another. I mean, that, to be honest, I think that's it that either of you are going to get. Uh, let me just have a little think. Uh, what, what else could there be? Stephen Merchant, maybe? Has he nope. ever pop up in no, space? No, he didn't. Ricky Gervais did, but Merchant didn't. There are three, well, there are four zombies in Shaun of the Dead who pop up in this film. One of whom's notable in his own right, but. Um, Peter Jackson. Oh. No, but he is in that scene with Peter. Oh, no, he's not that in that scene. He's in that opening montage, sorry, with Peter Jackson. Oh. Go Garth Jennings, oh. uh, film director, uh. friend of. Edgar Wright. He plays that. the crackhead at the start of the film. <laughs> we also have the twin zombies from Shaun of the Dead in here, as the Butcher Boys, whatever their names are, in mm. the Summerfield, throwing knives and things at them. And uh, Annette Roper in Hot Fuzz, I think she's the mm. shopkeeper, was the spinster zombie, the old woman who you see quite prominent. Well, you see her before she becomes a zombie, and then as a an old woman zombie, she gets shot in the head at the bar. Uh, 
we also have Graham Lowe, who is, I think he's just Edgar Wright's mate, because he plays the living statue in Hot Fuzz. Oh, yeah. But he was Twist's friend in an episode of Spaced, and he was a man in the Robot Club crowd, and he was a, a dancer in the flashback Brian had to when Come On Eileen was playing. So I think it's just Edgar Wright's mate. And last but hmm. not least, this this person's in two, both of them. Robert Popper, your mate, Alan. All right. He was a bookshop customer in an episode of Spaced, as well as Shaun of the Dead. We talked about him last week, but it got edited out. So. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But Robert All Popper right. was at the time, or certainly at the time of Spaced, he was a commissioning editor for Channel 4, for comedy. Uh, I think Is specifically right? comedy, like? yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he knew them through that and was just sort of mates yeah. with them. Yeah. Yeah. He was a writer as well. Okay, I've got two other little games that I might as well rattle off here. See if you can win back, Calvin. You're not going to like this next one, but then you might be able to win it back with the last one. This next <laughs> one is references to Space Store Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> I've counted six. Cornettos. Yes. I will, oh! I will accept one anything from the shop, eating a Cornetto. I will accept that as a reference to, uh, to Shaun of the Dead. I'll give you a point for that, Calvin. Clawing it back. Brilliant, thank you. There was a li- I remember the, hearing a line in this film and going, oh, they said that in Shaun of the Dead. But I can't remember what it was. Uh, uh, oh, you've got red on you. No, no, I don't oh. believe they ever say that in Hot Fuzz. The, the line I think you might be referring to is the, the overt, what's the matter, never taken a shortcut before? And oh, they yeah. And then do the whole the fence, fence yeah, thing that was again. It. Yeah, yeah, that was it. it. There is also a, a weird moment where Danny Butterman's looking at DVDs in the bin at the supermarket, and when he puts it down, there's very briefly a copy of Shaun of the Dead on DVD, but the name's been changed to Zombies Party, which is the, uh, I think, the Italian name that Shaun of the Dead was given, and Simon Pegg's been edited off the box. So they're the three obvious actual references. The other three are debatable, but Danny shoots Dr. Hatcher in the leg with an air rifle. Ed shot his sister in the leg with an air rifle. That does seem like it might have been an Mm. intended little nod. They they have the, uh, the Neighborhood Watch Alliance. They get a lot of jokes out of NWA that the, the Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg seem to find really funny. Um, <laughs> that is, of course, a reference to the rap group, and there was a deleted scene in Shaun of the Dead where they their quiz team was uh, quizzes with attitude or something. They shout through the door. Bit of a stretch, hmm. that one. That sounds just more like they like to drop NWA references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and lastly, the, the uh, fruit machine in both films is the same. It's a fruit machine called Ooh Dracula. all right another little game for you here calvin you should be able to win this back a bit i think bond references in hot fuzz (laughs) weirdly enough timothy dalton there are five oscar nominees slash winners in this film so for each one you name I will give you, let's say, two points for someone who won an Oscar and one point for someone who was nominated. Oh, okay, but there's only five. Yeah, only five. So you get to start, Cam. Right. Uh, well, Kate Blanchett. Okay, mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett. Gone for yeah, gone for one of the tricky ones. She she is a seven time nominee, two time winner. Hell, seven time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus. Oscar winner Olivia Coleman is in there. Yes, well done. Oh, Oscar yeah, winner no, Olivia no. Coleman in in one of her doing her best work. I think one of her best. <laughs> <laughs> one of her one of her early comedy comedy roles and very good. She, of course, won for the favourite at the most recent Oscars. One-time nominee, one-time winner. Well, there's Peter Jackson as well. Yes, very oh, good. Yeah. Peter Jackson, nine-time nominee. 
What? And one three. Yeah, we made of those. three films. Yeah, but each <laughs> one was nominated for like director, screenplay, mm. film, all that shit. He well, do, do you want to know what he was nominated for? Uh, all three Lord of the Rings films for God knows what various combinations of stuff. But he also was nominated for Heavenly Creatures for the screenplay, mm. quite rightly so, I would argue, and uh, Best Picture for District Nine, on which he was a producer. Ah, yeah, I forget about that. All I think right. I've got one. Go on, Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan, he's the only nominee who has not won, but he is one of them. Yeah, he's a two-time nominee for... for, for hang on, the, the film, it's him and an old an older lady, something starting with P, it's a woman's name, yeah. what's uh, it called? Yeah. Yes. I haven't seen it. Philomena. Philomena, that's Philomena, it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Both for Philomena. Named oh, producer okay. for the best film nod it got, and then the adapted screenplay nod it got as well. Uh, right, so there's one more, right? One more, yes, and they are a winner. Uh, actor? Yes. Uh, it's going to be something, it's good. Is it Billy Whitelaw? That, it was going to be my guess no, if it's right. No. Ooh. Oh, oh, wait, 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 no, 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 I definitely know it. I definitely know it. Stone the Crows, I know it. <laughs> it's Jim Broadbent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Jim Broadbent. One-time nominee, and uh, he won for, do you know, Alan? Iris? Iris, supporting actor, yeah. Uh, and he went up, and he went up and said, Stone the Crows. That was his acceptance speech. <laughs> and his um, his wife in Hot Fuzz, his, his dead wife, was originally in the script called Iris. And right. he requested that they change her name because he thought it would be a distracting, mistaken as a reference to his film. All right, well, Alan, you won that with twice Calvin's points. Uh, <laughs> but That's fine. But well done for taking part, everyone. <laughs> Go on, Calvin. How many Bond references are in this? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, not actually not I mean, many I specific either, ones. I... Yeah, I don't... I think just the Timothy Dalton's presence. I don't think there's really... <laughs> yeah. Well, that Rachel's. and uh, David Arnold as well was the composer. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, who uh, composed uh, the scores to three Pierce Brosnan films and two Daniel Craig films. Yeah, yeah. and and made uh, use of Casino Royale's orchestra for this film. Oh, really? To save on the budget. Yeah, they didn't have the money for a full budget. Uh, they just did it in the lunch break. They they basically did. <laughs> they they had the Casino Royale orchestra in to record the music for that film. And he was wow. like, at the end, he was basically said at the end of the day, right, now we've done that, let's just quickly do this uh, Hot Fuzz theme. <laughs> just bash <laughs> that out while I've got you. I hope they got paid. Well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think they probably got paid for the day from the sound of it. So. Mm. And uh, Cobby Broccoli's estate were probably not in the loop and very unhappy. <laughs> we haven't actually talked about the cast. We just sort of <laughs> mentioned them. We've we've covered a whole load of cameos, but yeah. That so we got up front. You got Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, as in Shaun of the Dead. Right. How do we feel about them here? A real kind of role. Well, not reversal, but Shaun has become Nicholas Angel. So we've gone from a kind of slacker, struggling to get his life in check, to the most insanely competent, high-achieving policeman in the world. It's quite a change of pace. Yeah. How do we feel about that? It feels a bit more of a caricature kind of character, but it works for, for what this is. Yeah. I, I feel like there's less um, less heart, maybe, in what he's doing. It doesn't quite play as believably, so I guess that's kind of what you were just saying. It's more of a caricature, but it works. It's fine. I do like the name Nicholas Angel. I, I think Simon <laughs> Pegg and Edgar Wright are maybe not the best at naming their characters, but they're getting better with this film, and they just plucked the music supervisor's name on these films. I don't know if you noticed that. Nick Angel. What was it? 
Ah, yeah. I guess that's why Nick Frost decided to do his own game. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh well Nick Frost is basically the same character as Shaun of the Dead, right? Um a a heightened more friendly sillier yeah. one. Definitely more ball, friendly, but... less cuz the the character in Shaun of the Dead is a is a dickhead. He's like he's quite a nasty piece mm. of work really in many ways and he gets away with it because of a sort of certain charm that he has. But in this one like Saul in this <laughs> in this one Danny Butterman is uh, just a nice Slightly naive, slightly secluded guy. Mm. Doesn't seem to me do anybody any harm at all. Mm. Mm. I'll tell you one thing I really like about the character and the way these two interact is how much Danny learns from Simon Pegg's character. Like, yeah. all the way through, Nicholas Angel is going, oh, no, we don't do that. You say this instead. Or the rules say we should do this. And he learns. He's taking it all on. And it's like, finally, he's got someone to look up to and to learn from. Where it... Yeah. Or he tries to, at least. But you, he, he does he, most he, of the time. He tends well, to take yeah, it but, you know, it, policeman officer isn't quite what he was trying to get him to say. But, yeah, yeah he's, he's but taking the, the right But it feels on. like someone who's got... Much, that character now comes across as someone who's got much, so much more potential that's just never been tapped into. And finally, someone is kind of teaching yeah. him things. Yeah. They, that, they I think that it. really, really works for the character. It's a really nice way. And, and the fact that they grow together and kind of become friends, that, that helps that. It makes it work. Yeah. Hmm. Um, they, they wrote it as a... They approached it. I don't mean they wrote it as, but they, they approached it as a rom-com when they were writing the two, just a straight-up romance. And mm-hmm. uh, to add to that, there was originally a love interest for Nicholas Angel who was written out of the script. And when they did that, they just basically left big chunks of her dialogue intact for Danny Butterman, um, which mm-hmm. I think comes across. Cool. So. I think that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I like that, though. I like that we're not distracted with um, a love story on the side or anything. Yeah, like I, that. I agree uh, completely. Even the yeah. even there, there's a there's a bit where Nicholas Angel says to him like. Why don't you ever listen? Why have you not learned anything from all of everything I've been telling you? And then it's kind—he's of, kind of proved wrong, you know. And and they kind of learns to respect him in a way. And uh, yeah, I like mm. that. I really like that because they never draw attention to it. They never go, "Oh, look, he's learning." But it, it's always there. Mm. And it, I think it, give, it gives yeah. the character so much more weight. Yeah, Jim Broadbent's in it, as we were just mm. talking about. Reliable. Yeah, he's always—he's always a very warm, friendly presence. I think, and so it's. Very good casting, I suppose, and that he kind of ultimately gets to be the villain and and subvert that. I think it works quite well. He mm. he begins as a very friendly, you know, helpful figure, and and mm. yeah, and yeah. as opposed to all the other members of the the council or whatever they end up being, he's given a lot more um, character. He's given a lot more kind of. All the others are pretty much painted as these kind of wacko little villager people. Yeah. Apart from Timothy Dolan. Uh, but then he he really comes across as much more that he knows what he's doing. And so in the early part of the film, where before we have the sort of flip, you do very much get the sense that this is just a little country station and this guy, he knows how to handle it locally. You don't have to play by the rules. Sometimes you just go, okay, so-and-so, sleep it off, slap on the wrists, and, and that's the best thing to do. And I think, mm. obviously, that works because... Nicholas Angel has to learn that as well. He has to yeah. learn that sometimes you have to throw away the book. Uh, mm. And I and it really works on that level. But what I mean uh, is, whereas all the other police seem like kind of imbeciles, he is the <laughs> one holding it together and he's just working with what he's got. Should we, should we talk about the other policemen there as well? Um, we've mm. got 
uh, a whole cavalcade of of British comedy people, I suppose. Kevin Eldon mm-hmm. doing his typical thing. I don't think he's doing anything particularly remarkable. Yeah, yeah, uh, for, by his standards here. Olivia Coleman, much the same, uh, kind of doing a standard Mitchell and Webb. Uh, kind of work here you know very very nice to have her in the film she she brings a lot to it it actually that character works really nicely i think Uh, it's not like she does a lot but every line is a little gag yeah yeah it it works very nicely yeah we have the two andys who um i'm a big fan of i think they're two of the best characters in the film i agree yeah not a huge amount that they do but what they do do is very funny brings a lot to it there's so much of it there as well that it is the double act obviously like just throwing away each other but yeah. the, the the one there's quite a well-known bit where they you know they're like looking at him and then they move and then paddy constantine just moves back into shot and comes back out I'm sure you know the bit i'm talking about yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is just like i don't know if that was deli- like i don't know if he just did that in the moment, I can't imagine that's in the script, if you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. little things like that that work so nicely, and, and the way that they just spar off each other um, yeah. works perfectly. It's really nice. Yeah. Bill Bailey's there. Yeah. People like him. He doesn't really do anything interesting. <laughs> um, Adam Buxton in a rare cinematic turn. <laughs> rare for a reason. <laughs> He's... <laughs> He's weirdly out of step with uh, the degree of realism all the other actors are going for, isn't he? He's kind of just doing... <laughs> it's like, he's acting it like it's an episode of the Adam and Joe show. And doing <laughs> yeah, like a little yes. filmed <laughs> skit. But but it, kind of, it somehow gets away with it. And, you know, he's a likable enough presence. He's doing his... He's doing his Lucy Davis impression. <laughs> Hello, can I get a little comment for the newspaper? <laughs> a Laura, Laura, blind data. A lot chocolate, couple surprise, surprise, Christmas in it. Laura, lolly presents a blind data. If you were Santa, what kind of Santa were you, boy? Lolly couple, and now you're coming a full surprise. Chuck have a nice time, a Laura, Laura, blind data. Who else we got? Stephen Merchant's in there briefly. Alice Lowe. I like Alice Lowe. She has a very little mm. role as a employee at Summerfield. David Bradley sort of playing to the best of his abilities as well, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rory McCann's in there. If anyone who uh, likes Game of Thrones, he played the Hound in Game of Thrones. Um, he also works at the supermarket. The Hound. The Hound. Yeah, in Game of Thrones. Dog. But what, he's not... No. No, no, no. He's called no, the no. Hound. Is he a big brute man who's yeah. called yes, the Hound? Yes. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lucy yeah. Punch, you mentioned before, she's in this. Mm-hmm. She went off to Hollywood, didn't she? Yeah, she was in a series of unfortunate events recently. I'm not sure if she was much of a name at this point. She was probably in St. Trinian's and... Um... She's just kind of had notable supporting roles in things. A substantial supporting role in Into the Woods. She was one of the ugly stepsisters. Um, she was in Bad Teacher, Alan, your favourite. Yeah. She played uh, the Squirrel teacher, one of the, te- one of the good teachers. Um she is just in stuff, but no, I, I do really like her actually, and like I say, I'm, I'm yeah, really yeah, impressed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm. uh, again, she doesn't really do masses here. Uh, we've got um, Steve Coogan and Bill Nye and Martin Freeman. Kind of, I don't know if it's quite fair to say they're phoning it in because I think it's more like they were probably asked if they could just be in the film to do the guys a favor, and they were like, "Yeah, sure, we'll, we'll be yeah, in there. It's one day, one day. Fine. We'll give you one day." 
it's very much, you know, them not really... It's the bare minimum they could have given to the film, but yeah, whatever. It's nice to have mm. them there. Kate Blanchett, we've mentioned her bizarre mm-hmm. little cameo at the start as Janine. Secret, uncredited cameo. Are you just not bringing up Timothy Dalton to annoy me at this point? Like, <laughs> saving the, saving the best till last. <laughs> oh, okay. Fine. Because I like uh, a lot of the older actors that they have, like Edward Woodward and Billy oh, Whitemore. Course, yeah. And yeah. These old horror movie actors. I yes, mean, Woodward's course, obviously Woodward. there because of the Wicker Man yeah, uh, references. But Billy Whitelaw, she was in like a she must have been in Hammer Horror films back in the day. Um, yeah, what, what, uh, what's her name was an extra in Straw Dogs. Anne Reed we, is there. We, oh, Anne Reed, yeah, yeah. She's very good. Yeah. She was in a film with Daniel Craig. Oh, yes, she, she was, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. I read an article where she was uh, thrilled that she could qualify herself as a Bond girl. <laughs> I don't think it quite works out that way. Uh, Paul Freeman is the Reverend, and he's been he on this. Sh- is we've in- had him on this show before. Had him on. Well, you know what I mean. We've we've seen his work previously on this podcast. Indiana Jones? No, we haven't done Indiana, Indiana Jones. No, he's in bloody Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, isn't he? Oh my god, oh god. is that him? Ivan Ooze. Yeah. Oh my god. Ah, wow. God, I never put that together that that was him. And of course, unless I'm forgetting anyone else, <laughs> Timothy Dalton. Yes, yes, with a good name, I like Simon Skinner. 007 himself. I I never liked him that much until he was having a bit of a resurgence around this time. I remember he was he in was, this and then much. Toy Story 3 a few years later. He yeah. was a big part of um, the Doctor Who finale for um, oh, yeah. David Tennant, I think. Yeah, uh, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I must admit. Uh, yeah, like, but he's I... brilliant here. He's having a lot of fun. Ding dong. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm a Japanese slasher. Lock me up. Oh, no, it's... it's rebooted Japanese Bond played by Timothy Dalton. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes, there's there's life yet in this uh in this concept. What's this accent? It's actually good that you outright explained what you were doing because I did not get that at all. <laughs> <laughs> he's well, well you know, he's, he's not got a big he's not got a big cartoon voice that he does. Hello, it's he is me, Welsh. Japanese born. I can't Welsh do Welsh. Welsh. Can't do. You can't. You can't do the Welsh Japanese accent. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. Um, mm. well, what, why are you here, Timothy Dalton? Japanese Timothy Dalton. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> I'm here to ring in a couple of new patrons. All right. Just hoping there might be a pun or something there. No, no. <laughs> He hasn't got Just, the width uh, of Sean Connery. I'm a I'm a working thespian. I I go off the book, off the script. Oh, that was good. That was good. This is getting better. <laughs> You know he's, he's just doing Mr. Pricklepants now, though. He's, he's... <laughs> you know, you know my methodology. Yes. We have Ernst de Gebrunchen. Oh yeah, Ernst, Ernst de Brun. 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 One of our Dutch fans. Yes, they've uh, just upped their pledge to uh, two dollars. So, thank you, you fine patron of the arts. <laughs> oh, thank you, and. uh... We also have Mr. Josh Parham. Josh Parham. All right. Thank you very much, Josh. And last but not least, Mr. George Lowe's. George Lowe's. All right. Thank you very much, George. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, patrons. 
And of course, this episode. Yes, thank you. Is the result of money. of you patron people yes. uh, telling us what to do. So Don't tell thanks. me what to do. We might, we might, you know, put another one up there if you, if you want to see us do Doctor Who. If that made it into the edit, probably didn't. We were just talking about doing Doctor Who. <laughs> Maybe we'll put that up as an option for a future don't, episode, and you can go and vote it. for it. No. And uh, Diminisodes, we've we've recorded a shitload of Diminisodes that haven't edited, that we haven't edited yet, yes. that we need to put up. So they are coming. We've still got your like James Bond um, experience that you did to edit and put out. That is all edited and ready to yeah. go. You can put that one up. Is it? I didn't know you'd edited that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, I'll put that up now. That that will have gone out a few days before this episode. So that's good, isn't it? James mm. Bond exclusive content. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what what else? What else have we got coming up? Spider Man. We've we've recorded that one. We Lion haven't edited King. it yet. Lion King. Yeah. We we haven't got to the uh, Dalton Bond yet, so mm. I can't judge him on that. But I think he comes across really well in this. Not just 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 as an actor. It's just like he totally knows yeah. exactly oh, what well, he's doing. They they had nothing but like glowing things to say about him, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. Just in terms of his professionalism just for example the 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 scene where they're in the summerfield office um they shot all of the shots looking at uh, timothy dalton the first day and then the next day they had to come back and shoot the other stuff getting simon pegg's reactions and and his dialogue and uh so timothy dalton wasn't to be on screen for any of that and I think it was like a 6am call or something, you know, quite an early call. And apparently he was right up first thing Aww. in the morning and they weren't expecting it at all. Because apparently it's just standard that <laughs> any sort of substantial actor will be like, well, fuck that. You've got yeah, all of me. You just have someone read my lines <laughs> off off camera. And apparently he was just there on set reading the lines off camera so Simon Pegg could react. And they said they, they, they thought he was an incredible professional. Okay, so shall we start hitting the plot a bit more properly. I know we've obviously touched on a lot of things already. If we just mm-hmm. we'll go through it and then we'll hopefully we'll cover everything we want to. So well we we open on this uh wonderful montage of of uh Simon Pegg being a pro amazing cop walking towards camera uh goody two shoes by Adamant's playing his photo on the ID is like green screened in to match up with the actual expression he's pulling in the shot itself. <laughs> it's a lot going on up front and it's all very cool. A lot of those classic Edgar Wright cuts where you see a lot of things happening and they're mm. just these quick like zoom, 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 like a drawer yeah, opening, yeah, keys getting picked up, like door lock, like all that. I must say the start of this film compared to Shaun of the Dead, I think it feels a bit clunky. It, it's like it just doesn't quite ebb and flow and take off in quite the same way. It feels like it's got a bit of housekeeping to do before they can kind of get on the adventure and start the plot off properly. Well, if you, do you know if, what I mean? If you're starting the plot with like narr- like voiceover to try and like, look, let's pack all this backstory into two minutes and get mm. it done. I think that's good. I think it's efficient. It works. It's got a kind of it's got but enough it's, flavor it's that, to it to make it work. Yeah, but it's that followed by a bit of an awkward scene with Steve Coogan, Bill Nye, Martin Freeman. As much as I love them, I don't know quite how well that scene works. Yeah, it does just... Yeah. I don't know, compared to the rest of the film. And then you've got mm. following that, the scene with uh, Kate Blanchett, which is nice, good scene, but 
it does again feel a bit disconnected from the rest of the film. Uh, if it wasn't Kate Blanchett, do you think it might have just been cut out completely? I mean, obviously yeah. you don't know it's Kate Blanchett, but it is just a nice little tidbit of trivia. Yeah, um, it is her. Yeah, it does kind. Of, I mean, I, I think it. You know, it is relevant to his character and his arc, I suppose. But it, it does just feel a bit clunky, like I say. Mm. And then when he gets to Sanford, it kind of clicks into gear, I think, and it's you yeah, know, it feels comfortable again. But Sanford, by mm. the way, is apparently the name that police certainly used to. I don't know if they still do give to towns in police training exercises. Mm. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Uh, I think I don't think any of us grew up in towns quite like Sanford, but we probably mm. grew up in smaller English towns. I found a lot relatable. <laughs> yeah, I was certainly not a million miles away from a Sanford town. Um, mm. Wasn't quite mm. as small and out in the way, out of the way, but. I'm not a big fan. There's a there's a really like well, there's a running crossword gag throughout the film, and I'm not a big fan of it up front um, mm. when he gets to Sanford, and then it comes back a few times because it's just so it's so obvious, you know. Yeah. Do, do you? It's just mm. when you know. Firstly, that the word she's looking for happened to be hag and fascist. It's like I I don't know. I don't know what crossword that is. That... I know what you mean. Just compared to. Compared to the level of stuff that they're doing, the sort of subtlety that they usually work on, it doesn't play well, does it? And then this character can't figure out a three-letter word that's hag, that's obviously hag. Um, hmm. I don't know. It just, that It's never quite sat well with me. It just seems a bit like... They, it, it feels like a placeholder gag. Like They were like, we've got to put a yeah. joke in here. Yeah. Let's yeah. come back to this. And then they never did it. Yeah. Um, anyway... On the plus side, this film has, much like Shaun of the Dead, a fantastic soundtrack. Brilliant, brilliant selection of music used throughout this film. Um, I've already mentioned Goody Two Shoes by Adam Ant, but we've got two Queen songs in Shaun of the Dead, we've got two Kink songs in Hot Fuzz. We are the Village Green Preservation Society God save the whole duck for the bill and variety Village Green Preservation Society and then Village Green off the same album used a bit later. Out in the country, far from all the subtle noise of the city, there's a village green. It's been a long time since I last set eyes on the church with the steeple down by the... There's an eel song in there, there's... uh... Mm. Some great music, and much like Shaun of the Dead, the, the soundtrack CD was pretty cool mm. and worth checking out if you, if you can acquire it. You ever fired two guns whilst jumping through the air? No. You ever fired one gun whilst jumping through the air? No. You ever been in high speed pursuit? Yes, I have. You ever fired a gun whilst in high speed pursuit? No. score actually as well the actual music we mentioned david arnold composed it before mm. uh, but the actual music he put together yeah
very big and swelling and a bit over the top, but I think that's kind of by design. action movies near the end and yeah well he was uh, Roland Emmerich's go-to he certainly did the score for Independence Day no it's great I love David Arnold's work um, yeah I think he does fantastic scores and he's very much underrated weirdly enough Robert Rodriguez composed about a minute and a half of music for this film as well oh yeah I don't really know why or how that came about a little bit of montage music when um they so I, I don't know if it's actually in the film or if it was just the trailer. They definitely used it in one of the trailers, but it, it's it's when he's going and getting his sunglasses and things to like when he's prepping to come and attack the town, and mm. save the day and everything. It's very odd. I assume it's just because they went and did Grindhouse around this period. Edgar Wright. Of course, yeah, because being like a they... favor for a favor or something. Now, I think it's very notable. Shaun of the Dead takes about a good half hour to 40 minutes before the zombies properly kick mm-hmm. in. And I, I checked the time on the film when I was watching it. This takes 37 minutes before you get into any of the slasher movie stuff, which is kind of the exact same thing. Except mm-hmm. in Shaun of the Dead, you spend the whole film kind of waiting for the zombies, knowing it's inevitable, being primed for it. Whereas in mm. this, the slasher stuff kind of comes out of nowhere, and it's just really like, oh, wow, what? It's a similar decision, I think, in terms of pacing to kind of, right, we're going to establish the characters and the status quo and not rush any of that. Um, I mean, Shaun of the Dead, really, I think we said last week, it, it really is, it's not a spoof movie. It's very much a zombie movie that also happens to be a comedy. Hmm. Um, and it's it's not like it's mocking the genre, it's a loving entry in that genre that's also a comedy. I don't know if you could say quite the same thing about Hot Fuzz. I think hmm. it's much closer to being a spoof. Hmm. I mean, it is a cop movie, kind of, in its own right, but it's, it's through the lens of Britain, hmm. so it, it kind of can't do the big... Michael Bay nonsense without just being inherently funny in the process. Yeah, Shaun of the mm. Dead could sincerely just do zombies, and that's you know, because zombies mm. are inherently tend to be quite small, low budget movies, I guess. And I, I think as a result, Hot Fuzz is also just much lighter and funnier throughout. Shaun of the mm. Dead, I think again we spoke about it last week. I I think I complained that. Um, people always used to say Shaun of the Dead was like spaced the movie. And I think they're actually tonally quite different. Shaun of the Dead is much more concerned about letting the darkness work and and letting the horror work as horror and stuff like that. Hot Fuzz to me does kind of just feel like spaced. It's just like fun, silly jokes and references. Hmm. It's all silly and light-hearted. That's not a bad thing, I think. It... Yeah, I know what you mean, but I do think that it feels more lightweight than Shaun of the Dead just because Shaun of the Dead says something much more about the human condition, and particularly perhaps that's relatable yeah. to someone like me, someone like you, a kind of middle-class 
loss <laughs> loss of place and like you're not achieving what you thought you would and yeah and like you were talking about this kind of this quick fix of being thrown into a situation where you can become a hero and you, you don't get that from this it just feels like it's doing a comedy film and that's fine I think that, that's probably what i mean it, it feels more like just a spoof it's more like we're just going to do that genre and have fun with it yeah mm. um so yeah what what happens anyway he gets to stanford he's too good a cop for the town basically there's no crime He's kind of overstepping the mark, arresting people, doing stuff by the book. But then people start getting murdered and it becomes a murder mystery. But then they play it for laughs in the sense that, you know, he kicks all the kids out of the pub because they're underage. And the locals are just like, oh, they're not doing any harm. We know we know them. We know their parents. It's all right. But then the other one is that he stops Nick Frost's character from drink driving and not just like, oh, I might have had one or two. It was like he's completely paralytic and he's about to drive. Oh, yeah, he nearly injures Nicholas Aiken <laughs> yeah. quite severely. He just happens to be incredibly athletic and able to like jump and roll out of the way of a car. But And yet they play that off <laughs> for the same sort of laughs. <laughs> as... I don't think they do. I, I think the laugh there is, how stupid is this Danny Butterman idiot? I don't think the joke is, Nicholas Angel's being a prick. Hmm. Well, that that whole certainly, scene is about him being it. overly officious, mm, uh, even if he's yeah, correct. Uh, and the fact that, you know, he, ne- he never really gets his comeuppance for that. Again, I think the film's joke is, I don't think you're meant to go, ha, it's so funny that you can't believe they're not properly punishing this guy and dealing with it. I think it's more that you're meant to be on Nicholas Angel's side and be like, what the fuck? That you're, you're only making him buy ice cream instead of do you know properly well, that's arresting him in a minute? Partly the problem up front is that Nicholas Angel as a character is difficult to be on his side because mm. he's a bit of a dick, and the other people around him are kind of lovable and, and carefree. Well, I, I, and that's of... his arc, though. I guess isn't yeah. it? He's um, he's too much of a stickler by the book. He learns to kind of lighten up and have fun, I suppose. Hmm. So then basically once we're in we have a series of events where people are dying um, yeah, picked off one and, by one. and we know as an audience we know what's happened well we we know that they're being murdered and being made to look like accidents so yeah. we're in on it so when Nicholas Angel starts to put this together we're we're kind of on board with it the other characters don't go along with it because they haven't seen that it wasn't just an accident and it fell by chance Mm. Um, that's another bit of great dialogue, actually, foreshadowing dialogue. Tim Messenger wins the uh, the raffle, I believe it is, right before that moment when he's meant to be meeting with Nicholas Angel, and whoever's mm. pulling out the balls, I think it's Jim Broadbent, says, Tim, your number's up, or it might be Simon Skinner. Tim, your number's up, mm. and then uh, the thing falls on his head. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of that. The, the The woman who runs the flower shop says, oh, I was just about to pop off, actually, when uh, he first gets to the to the flower shop. Mm-hmm. And then obviously she dies, <laughs> gets killed. So it is in there. It's good. Eventually, Nicholas Angel puts together that he thinks they're murders, and he kind of thinks that it's... Um, murder, murder, murder. Skinner <laughs> doing them. Uh, and, you know, he gathers all the evidence that points to that. Well, just after this is when we get a kind of reveal that that's that this is not the case, and then we sort of so yeah they confront Skinner and it's kind of they he's got an alibi and so then he he's a bit 
kind of put out, figures out that it's some sort of conspiracy with more than one person. Yeah, did that twist work for you? Which what? Which bit specifically? That it was more than one slasher. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it done before and everything. It's uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it 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 totally did it for me. I didn't see it coming at all when I watched this age seventeen. But I could. I don't think I'd seen Scream before. I don't think I'd seen all the mm. other slasher movies that might have primed me to expect it. So yeah. I was wondering for you as a big slasher guy, Calvin, you might have. But no, I mean, it did it for me. I, I was. Very oh no, like, I liked yeah. it. Yeah, because I remember watching it. Like, oh, his his leg isn't cut. How could it possibly? How could he be involved? Who's the killer? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I don't remember being that. Uh, I can't remember my first. I remembered coming into it again that that it was a conspiracy thing of this group. But uh, I, first time round, I, I yeah, I can't remember how I felt about it. I'll, I'll tell you why it doesn't quite work for me because. When they do that bit with Skinner and he's revealed and it's like, oh, he's got an alibi, his leg's not cut. I never, th- and it's partly the way he's playing it and the smarminess of it and the whole, the way it's been built up. You never think, oh my God, he's actually innocent. What It's going to be someone else. You, you, I was always thinking, well, he just had one of his lackeys doing it. It was probably that big guy who can't talk. He probably got him doing it. Like he's got someone else mm-hmm. doing the, the dirty work because he's... He's the kind of the the boss man, the Machiavellian guy at the top, like pulling everyone's strings, isn't he? But by Scooby Doo logic, that should mean that he's not the bad guy because <laughs> yeah. it's never the yeah, obvious yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. The big twist is that the the village council people have basically been killing these people, and it wasn't for this big conspiracy <laughs> that he's worked out. Which I do is like love a that. Yeah, he, he overthinks it. He comes up with an incredibly elaborate property scam Mm. thing and it's very like what you might get in this sort of a film and it's actually just that they're like a bunch of uptight knobs who want their village to be nice and pretty and And they're just (laughs) very specific things and i know what they were doing that and it kind of works but i think it's just a bit too long to work as a joke like if it Mm. was one person and it was like oh he was doing this oh no no it's just because we didn't like the look of his house that would work, but then it's like, oh, and this guy was a bad actor, and this guy did this, and this guy, and it just... A great big bushy beard! (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I don't know if that was the issue with him. It it didn't quite work, it's just a bit too drawn out for that, Mm. as a moment. But I think as a concept, it was nice. You get that classic sense of overwhelming hopelessness that, oh, how's he going to get out of this? Everyone's in on it, and then Danny is in on it, and part of the conspiracy... And it is genuinely quite upsetting. It's like, oh, not you as well, Danny. And, you know, Nicholas has mm. bonded with him. And I think it's genuinely quite um, affecting that little reveal. Yeah. And then very soon yeah. after, you get the moment where, oh, Danny's actually befriended him. And it's, you know, he's helping him escape. And there's the payoff of the, the ketchup getting stabbed gag from earlier. And I think all that works really nicely. And then, yeah, he, he, Nicholas Angel escapes off and then preps and decides to basically come in guns blazing and lead a, a, a big uh, armed assault on the town. You know, the conspiracies kind of goes too high for him to be able to do it by the book anymore and he just kind of needs to take it into his own hands and uh, you get a big, huge action payoff and it's very, very, mm. very satisfying. For whatever the limitations were to the film's budget, I think they certainly know how to make the most of it, and especially in this ending scene. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it, it looks great. 
I think the final action sequence that you get at the end of this film is perhaps arguably some of Edgar Wright's best work as a director. Um, mm. People people sing the praises of Baby Driver, and I don't really think there's anything in that film on display quite as kinetic and, and well put together just as a technical bit of, of you know, action filmmaking as you get at the end here. Because again, it's just so much going on at once. The sound mix, to be fair, throughout this film, the sound mix is outstanding, and I I praise the sound mix in Shaun of the Dead as well, but it's it's amazing here that there's so many weird Mm -hmm. little touches and flourishes. There's um, a slow motion scene where Jim Broadbent kind of shouts out in anger, and there's like a lion roar and the sound mix over the top of it, Mm -hmm. and... There's a bit where someone gets shot in the leg and falls over later on, and they they have a a tree being felled in the the sound mix again, and it's just little things like that. Loads of this stuff was shot on a hand-cranked camera that Edgar Wright was able to acquire, and I believe was Hmm. operating himself. Oh, wow. Cranking it, and and he did it, because he said it's just inconsistent with the frame rate. You just end up with this kind of... You know, you can mm. you can ramp it up and lower it down, and it affects the speed of the frame rate. The footage can go slightly quicker or slightly slower. But then, even if you're trying to keep it steady, it's not quite right. And you can really, again, see that, and it adds such a sense of just kind of manic energy to all of this. Mm. But then it's just really well paced and framed. You know, you you know where everything is at any given moment. It's very like, this character's got to get there, they've shot over here. It's just fantastic filmmaking, using like lo-fi action stunt work and, and filmmaking techniques. and mm. Yeah, brilliantly shot, very satisfying. Just seeing seeing Nicholas Angel ride in on horseback is so satisfying <laughs> at the end. As the fact that they that put is. him on a horse is kind of, is kind yeah. of ridiculous. But, uh... So yeah, I, I, lo- I think the ending of this film is just... It's a full-on like cinematic orgasm. Frankly, it's it's like the film's mm. been wanking you off for <laughs> an hour and a half, and then you just come for like twenty minutes. That's basically what the oh end my. of the film. <laughs> I don't know if I felt like that. Uh, it was. I always feel like. I mean, I always say this, but the action scenes just feel like they're going too long for me. I do appreciate this goes a long way to make it entertaining they're dropping gags in still they're moving locations so but this is definitely the film goes way like way into kind of caricature territory at this point you know like they've got the guns like hidden in his the priest's frock coat and stuff it's like like all these villages are tooled up and it, i don't know it never quite <laughs> it, it, it's a bit yeah, egregious it becomes a cartoon it, yeah it exactly yeah. It, it loses all sense of reality but i'm, I'm all right with that yeah i mean I, I went along with it but it does feel silly i mean just talking about the technical filmmaking on display in this film in general uh again the editing is just magnificent throughout this film there's there's some incredible uh uh smash cuts from mm. one thing to another the uh the bit where you see the slasher whack a guy on the head and then it cuts to the yeah simon Pegg slumping down in a chair things like that are just mm. so so great and the, they are just yeah. executed very well yeah yeah well i just wanted to say there were so many moments the moments where i really laughed at were not not dialogue. Not it was just sort of little moment, physical moments between them, or little just like I don't know, just tiny little things that made me laugh. Those were the 
I wish I could think of a good example. <laughs> but, but, oh, like, so, okay, I've got a good example. It's the one where uh, Nick Frost's character gets brain freeze because he's trying to eat his cornetto yeah, at the same yeah, time no, as no, yeah, rushing off in the car. Uh, well, similarly, I, I, I've I made a note that um, I think it's one of the Andes who goes, Wanker! <laughs> yes. As if that's informed how I say the word wanker now. If, I, if I'm calling someone oh. a wanker, I do just go for wanker! <laughs> We have a bit of, bit of comedy work with the swear box. That works yes. nicely. And on the swear box itself, it has the swear <laughs> words, but they're bl- sort of letters blanked out, so it's not offensive, apart from cunt. It just says it <laughs> straight <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, yeah. <laughs> What's Good nice little guy that, That's what I mean when I said earlier on, just about how like rich the film is. And it's not, not in sort of like... A, a nerdy sort of like, oh, this is a reference to mm. this film from 20 years ago. It's just, there's just so many things going on yeah. in every shot, in every scene. We said the same thing about Shaun of the Dead. We used the word dense, uh, which I think really right. suits ah. it. Yeah, okay. it's just yeah. packed with stuff, yeah. isn't it? There's just things everywhere. Yeah. Well, that was it. Yeah, we, we said with Shaun of the Dead, I, I think you could just, how many times did I estimate I'd watched it? Like At a ridiculous 40, amount. Yeah. <laughs> but then I tried to justify it as, well... <laughs> At least I'm not Calvin. It's... It's yeah. well, no. I first, I said I think it's the one film I've seen like a Calvin level of times. <laughs> you know, you like to watch the same films like once a year. Yes. Well, I think I think I'm on similar pegging to you with Shaun of the Dead. I mean, it's been a few. Oh, years congratulations! That's good. Yeah. yeah. But there, there's just yeah. so many background details and things to enjoy at any given moment, and and I think Hot Fuzz yeah. has got. It's approaching the same level. I don't think it's quite as densely packed with stuff, but it, it is just mm. full of little gags and details. It still helps me. It, it just feels like a very rewarding experience to watch it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do either of you know about Dead Right? Nope. What is it? Dead. Deadger Wright. It is a, I guess, student film Edgar Wright made. Oh. Um. Mm. Hello, I'm Edgar Wright, and if you thought Hot Fuzz was my first cop film then you are sadly very wrong indeed. Here then is Dead Right, a film that I made in 1993 when I was 18 years old, my first foray into the cop genre. It was uh, like Hot Fuzz, it was shot in Well Somerset, my hometown. Unlike Hot Fuzz, it stars all of my school friends. It was shot on Super VHS, and there are a lot of parallels between Dead Right and Hot Fuzz in terms of its themes. They're both cop serial killer thrillers. We had a lot of fun making it, you might have slightly less fun watching it. He actually sent footage from it into um, oh god, what was what was the thing Adam and Joe first appeared on? The Takeover TV was it called? Mm, I'm not sure. And then they put bits of it on Channel Four or whatever it was. Hmm. I mean, it's it's obviously like some teenagers fucking about. It's not good. Detective Stern, please state your position. I'm on a path off Silver Street. Mike Tide is dead, and I know where the killer is. Jesus! Okay, I'll be right on it. Barry, where's the killer? Can't tell you that, Chief. As far as I'm concerned, this is no longer a team effort. He killed my partner, and his ass is mine. Barry! Barry! God damn it, you son of a bitch! <laughs> but it's one of those things where there are some moments of absolute genius, and you can you can really see the DNA of... of um, Edgar Wright beginning hmm. to take f- uh, take form and develop, and th- there's a scene where a guy catches a, and it's all like fifteen year olds playing all the characters. It, <laughs> um, but there's a bit where he catches a a criminal, and 
the guy starts running away and he takes off a pair of handcuffs, throws it at him. The camera sort of flies with the handcuffs, Sam, Sam Raimi style, towards the guy and it like mm. latches onto his hands from across the the park that they're in. And... You bastard! You crazy bastard! You can't do this! You can't shoot a man without giving a warning shot! I did fire a warning shot, and it hit you. Like I say, it's well worth looking into if you're a big fan of Edgar Wright, just as a kind of curio. But yeah, that that was arguably the the earliest DNA of what would turn into Hot Fuzz, because it, it's like a cop thing. I, I, I love Hot Fuzz, I think it's great. I think I probably sounded quite down on it, just because I was so overwhelmingly positive about Shaun of the Dead, and I managed to pick up on some negatives in this film that I don't like to dwell on because I didn't have any mm. for Shaun of the Dead. So, uh, but no, I do really love this film. Um, should we should we rate it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I give it a 9 out of 10. Mm. I want to give it, I'm going to give it a very sturdy 8. Mm. Uh, I'd also go with a 9, actually. Ooh, wow. uh, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed revisiting this one. It was really, uh, yeah, it well, it hadn't stayed uh, as fresh in my mind as Shaun of the Dead has, which I haven't seen in a long time. But uh, yeah, no, it's just pretty fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Wow, but this kind of was arguably something of a sequel, not really, but kind of. Would you like to see a sequel to Hot Fuzz? Uh... Do you think such a thing could even be done? I don't think I can't imagine it ever happening now. If they were ever to go back to the well, um, it would surely be Shaun of the Dead that they would make a sequel to. I can't imagine this one. I I think this is more this lends itself for them more to come back to. Yeah, yeah. I, because you could you could get those two guys and just do a straight up buddy cop film. Yeah, like actually commit to mm. that, and then still have a few of the regular villagers, those you can get hold of. But like someone comes into the village and is causing a problem, and they have to deal with it. You know, that's it. I think Shaun mm. of the Dead is done and dusted. There's no real way to go back to that world and tell a new story unless it's new characters in that world. In which case, you have the problem that Simon Pegg can't be in it and stuff like that. Mm. Um, whereas this, I think you could get away with doing another story with them. I, I read an interview mm. that was fairly recent, as in like last few years, where Simon Pegg said, I think he said something to the effect of if they were going to do a sequel to one of their films, it probably would be this one. And mm. it'd probably be about Danny Butterman going to the big city with Nicholas Angel and them doing a kind of role reversal. Babe, pig in the city mm. kind of thing. Which I think makes mm, okay. sense. It, it, it's probably the best you could do with it but um, yeah yeah it's probably best left untouched i I think if if they were ever going to get together and do another film i'd just want a fourth cornetto film of some kind um Mm. or you know just Mm. uh, a new comedy (laughs) that's not part of that so it doesn't have the same baggage even though it would basically just be another one of them anyway just to say, like, do you ever think that they would get together and do a fourth one? Are there more Cornettos to eat? I think, I think if you were to do another Cornetto, you'd have to start getting into like weird limited edition one-off Cornettos. I think mm. they've done the three core, like quote-unquote, real ones. Do you think that's what's mm. holding them back? Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I think the other problem is just you know each one's kind of a big genre pastiche ticked off done and and 
what sort of big, you know, they've done zombies. That's kind of horror ticked and done. It'd be a bit weird to go fully back to horror. Hot Fuzz is action, although they do put a bit mm. of horror in there as well. World's End was kind of meant to be sci-fi, although it arguably suffers from kind of just going into horror territory again. Um, mm. I mean, what where what else have you got? Period drama? Yeah, it's, it's not quite the same, is it? Could do a Kung Fu movie, maybe? Kung Fu... I don't know, it's not it's not quite the same. I'm trying to think what Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg love. They love Star Wars. Hmm. It has to be something small and British as well, that's the Yeah. Maybe just let them get together and just do a new film and it's not necessarily a genre hmm. pastiche, it's just whatever the hell they feel like making, I guess. Hmm. And I would love that, because you know, I think we've we've alluded to not being massively into Baby Driver on this podcast a few times. You know what would have made it brilliant if Simon Pegg had written it with him, and it was a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> if it was the same film, but it was a comedy <laughs> with Simon Pegg writing it. Yeah. And you know what would have made Paul better if Edgar Wright, if Edgar Wright, <laughs> if Edgar Wright directed it, yeah, and written it. Mm. <laughs> and you know what would have made Scott Pilgrim better? <laughs> If Simon Pegg had been there to kind of keep the structure in check, I think, and hmm. and you know, I could just keep what what would have made Run Fat Boy Run better. <laughs> what would have made Cub- Cuban Fury better? <laughs> oh, you can't you can't make that better. Thank you ever so much once again to our our listeners. Our oh fuck me, I dropped my drop my drink. Thank you so much <laughs> to our listeners, our patrons. To Japanese Timothy Dalton. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> he almost said "ah so" then. I don't think we'll be doing this character again. Uh, we'll see you next week for the conclusion of the trilogy. The sort mm. of um, dare we say the the corner we've written ourselves into that <laughs> we we have to fulfil for the. Sake. Oh, do you not like it either? <laughs> don't give away. Well, let's not let's not jump ahead of things. <laughs> okay, I can. I'm not on it. I hated it. It was dreadful. Horrible film. Horrible film. <laughs> so Calvin won't be joining us. And it's got week. Piers Brosnan in it, so you know it's bad. <laughs> if if I'm saying it's bad, not but not that he is a testament to something being bad, but you know. How I mean. would you rank it in terms of Piers Brosnan's career? Top five Ooh. films. <laughs> well, he he. I mean, he's all right. Oh, mm. So yeah, well, that so note. <laughs> Goodbye, Yogob. Come on, the fuss. <laughs>